0: Hi, I'm Laura. Hey, I'm Stefan, and you're listening to Attributed, a podcast library by Dreamdata. The purpose of it is to store and share all the knowledge that we have gathered across Dream Data employees through our LinkedIn lives, podcasts, and webinars. The typical topics you'll find here can be stuff like marketing, sales, B2B ads, operations, social selling maybe. Hello, everyone. I'm super honored to have this guest here today, who is you, Andrew, CMO at uh, at Paddle? I think there's not a lot of SaaS companies that are not aware about <laughs> Paddle and how well you guys have been doing the last couple of years. So super interested in digging into your everyday world and uh, particularly this topic, which I think all of us in marketing are constantly having to battle, which is... Should we invest in brand stuff? Should we try to increase the short-term demand, which the salespeople are screaming for? And how do we explain this to our CEOs, <laughs> what to, where to spend the time? But before like getting super deep into stuff, it would be super great if you could just like briefly introduce yourself and your background to, to the people listening.
1: Yeah, sure thing. And thanks for having me, Stefan. Um, so yeah, my name is Andrew. I serve the marketing function uh, CMO here at Paddle. So my marketing journey started as a co-founder of a content personalization business. So we were in MarTech and we built that business. It was a company called Idio based in London. We built it up with offices in New York, San Francisco. Um, It was a very outbound target account focused, ABM type go to market, Um, whale hunting. Our clients were people like Salesforce, Mm -hmm. IBM and Intel. And um, we had a really interesting journey that we can dig into a little bit there, Um, mostly focused on demand. We can talk about how that split worked on as we get into the brand piece of it later. We sold that business in 2019 and became part of a, an Insight Venture Partners backed roll rollup. Um, EpiServer, Swedish CMS was the company we were sold into. And uh, we were the first in of a, a four or five company roll rollup. Um, one of the companies we mm-hmm. bought was Optimizely. We rebranded the whole group Optimizely. So I was running brand, demand and digital for Optimizely, the group. So we went from about 400 staff to 12 or 1300 people over two years. Wow. And um, yeah, and then uh, end of last year, I left Optimizely to join Paddle as CMO. And then kind of along the way, have learned a huge amount from, from various people in different communities marketing-wise, and also try to give back as um, a coach and a trainer in a few different marketing communities as well.
0: Very impressive, Andrew. And uh, yeah, <laughs> lots, of, lots of success in there. So I'm hoping we can get some, uh, some secret sauce out of you off what's working, what's not working, etc. I guess it's, it has changed a lot for you then with imagining Paddle is relatively smaller accounts to where you, you started your career out trying to hunt for these really big whales.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So in a Paddle, we serve software companies, SaaS businesses that are selling globally. So they're mostly product-led businesses. So they've got a checkout on their site and yeah. they're needing to serve these, you know, hundreds of territories or tens of territories globally in order to get the customer base normally at a, a lower price point. And yes, they're normally smaller businesses, although we serve anyone from that first dollar revenue up to yeah. some pretty substantial businesses doing, you know, hundreds of millions of ARR. But yeah, the average deal size, the average customer we're serving, the size of the average customer is certainly a lot smaller than it, than it was at IDEO, where you know, it was these absolute monstrous you know, Fortune yeah. 100 businesses.
0: Imagine you must, must also be, a, be doing several different marketing tactics at the same time, trying to you know, both address the, the long tail of the very small businesses to the very chunky big ones as well.
1: Absolutely. And so we've got the whole range. We've got our own kind of product-led motion where people can self-serve and sign up for Paddle and start using it after going through our risk processes. Um, and then, yes, we've got a more outbound target account. Type process um, to go after what we call strategic accounts. Um, although in most people's nomenclature, they're certainly still probably more mid-market sized, um, but they're they're big yeah. for us, um, and we we play a, a really fundamental role in those businesses because we're their entire payments infrastructure. And so it's yeah. a really big purchase decision. So you know, even yeah. if it's a you know fifty million revenue business or twenty million revenue business. Putting Paddle in place at that stage is certainly something that is a high consideration purchase and they need to believe in us and our company and our brand just as much as they yeah. need to understand what the sales rep is telling them.
0: Yeah, 100%. And yeah, for you guys who are listening in on this talk, just just treat it as you are part of the conversation. So if Andrew says something, if I say something, just you know, ask questions if you're interested, dig deeper. Feel free to interrupt us and we'll, we'll pull up the questions as they come along. But to the, today's topic, Andrew, I think brand and demand is kind of, it, it means a lot of different things to, to different people. So when you wrote to me brand versus demand, what what kind of specific like terminology did you have in mind or what, what does it mean for you, this, uh, this, this split?
1: So I think of this split more in the time frame to show results rather than anything else. Um, so mm. demand, what we're meaning there is revenue marketing, identifying um, an ideal customer profile, a serviceable market, influencing them to sign up for your service or product, or to raise a hand to speak with a sales rep. And then yeah. making sure you can, you know, at scale, move prospect accounts um, towards that process of decision. And yeah. you know that process is normally reasonably short term. You've got to produce results in a quarter or a couple of quarters. And then when we think about brand, really, it's positioning yourself um, in an ideal body in front of a wider ideal market for a year or two's time. And uh, it's about how you're perceived and it's how you're valued by the wider market, including your target market, but not necessarily just them. It's what people think you represent, both emo- both kind of emotional and rational. And it normally has a longer term payoff on the investment, although yeah. it certainly helps with demand. And we'll get back to that in a minute.
0: Super. I think that's a good definition. And I think for me, at least, it, I tend to struggle to kind of really push hardcore for brand kind of projects when you're looking at budgets, because I can't come back to the salespeople and say, here's a new account that you can, you can sell to right now. So like to your experience, how are you dealing with this to the CEO, to the CFO? How do you get that kind of budget split up? So they agree some of it needs to go into to brand and then some needs to go into present demand.
1: So firstly, I would, I think that's the assumption that many of us in marketing have. And I would challenge that assumption in terms of how sales and even the CEO and the CFO sometimes look at this. So if we yeah. think about that, I know that my sales team would be utterly delighted if every prospect they call pick up the phone or get on that meeting saying, hey, I love your Paddle content, I've heard about you here and here, I've heard, you know, you do this work and that work, let's talk. If that was the reaction in that first meeting, my sales team would have it easy. Now, we're getting there, and we've certainly increased awareness and the reputation of Paddle and the ProfitWell brand over the last year, Um, but, you know, that would massively move the needle for, for our sales teams. And, you know, certainly the CFOs I've worked with in this role and prior as well understand that, because I think one thing to think about from a CEO or CFO perspective is that most of the things you spend money on when it comes to your demand infrastructure and your, your target account go to market, it scales yeah. reasonably linearly with your growth. You know, there's some economies of scale, whereas your yeah. brand investments, they tend to be a slow burn, more of an exponential curve. You plant some seeds now and they pay off yeah. big late. And so it's those yeah. outside results. And fundamentally, the way I think about it is that if you don't invest in your brand, you're always going to be paying the price in your CAC. So if you invest mm. in your brand and that pays off, it'll lower your customer acquisition cost for eternity. And if you don't, yeah. you'll always be struggling with that kind of that payback period because you haven't made those investments up front.
0: It's yeah, such an interesting discussion. Like, we, like my team sometimes laughs at me when I replied uh, like a cold call because <laughs> I really don't like to be at the receiver of, the, of, of, of a cold call. Mm-hmm. But if it were a brand that I really like admired I would give that BDR 10, 20 seconds to warm up because I hear, OK, this is actually the brand I like that is calling me. And as you say, like that scale, scales internally that you can keep having BDRs that calls people that actually have some affection for the brand that uh, they represent. And, and if we think about that, you know, and go another click
1: deeper into that. At the early stage, yes, you know, you're spending almost all of your budget on demand because that's how you're yeah. proving, you know, the validity of the entire business, the value proposition, your product market fit is by getting yeah. that instant response. Right? It's no good at the early stage unless you're extremely well capitalized and can take yeah. a long term view. It's no good mm. saying I'm building an audience or you know people like me. You need to be getting those deals in. So in the early days, often you know, if you're in a, a, a target account type motion, you know, an outbound ABM type motion. Well, probably your sales team are your brand, right? That's the brand experience. Yeah, what that's that, true. What, yeah. The says, what that salesperson says is constructing a lot of the perspective of, of what you as a CEO, you know, think about that company.
0: Yeah, totally. And then the budget component, uh, when you sit and kind of, now you've probably been looking at 2023, how much you're asking for, why are you setting it up this way? And now, now you've actually gone through, starting from scratch, to now, for example, pedal with three, four, 500 people. Does the kind of percentage switch over time from one to the other?
1: Yes. So I think it depends on a few things, not just on stage, but stage and size of business is part of it. I think if you are a business where you serve a large audience rather than a small subset of that audience, that's where a brand play, you know, you probably are making that those larger investments earlier. And, you know, Product-led growth, for, uh, as an example, would usually be um, you know, aligned with that type of overinvestment in brand, whether that's content or media or trying to be helpful through your data provisioning or free tools, freemium products, etc. I think also it, it, it does depend on company stage because we talked about that kind of linear versus exponential curve. As you get later stages of business you are able to drive you know, demand through the awareness. There's that brand to demand engine. People hear about yeah. you, then you suddenly find yourself on shortlists um, or they get referred or people move jobs and take you with them. Um, and then drag into a whole bunch of deals which you know the 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 businesses that you know if you think of ServiceNow and sap and these very scale software enterprises salesforce they've built such strong brands that actually the demand engine is only doing a piece of the work because they're being carried into many many boardrooms off the strength of that so yeah i think stage of business does make a difference and certainly now at paddle i can spend more on brands than i did at Ideo, where we were you know going from zero employees up to probably about 60 when we sold. And so I, I do think stage makes a difference, but it's not the, not the only thing.
0: One of the questions I always ask myself is then, how do I then build the narrative <laughs> kind of where, how does this connect to revenue? <laughs> how do I yeah. connect this to the pipeline that we're going to produce at some point? So is there any kind of, maybe what, what are some of the brand say projects that you guys have And running either this year or are going to run next year? And kind of what's the narrative of why are we, why are you guys doing these things? So,
1: and I realized I didn't even answer your your prior question on the kind of the the rough split. So let me do that as part of this. Okay. Um, Yeah. So, you know, at our stage, when I'm thinking about rough splits, we're probably thinking about 60% sitting in the demand function. Um, Those more, you know, demand generation, feeding our BDR team, feeding our sales team, probably about 30% sitting in in the brand teams, um, and then probably 10% or so for tooling. And certainly at an earlier stage, when I was at IDEO, it was probably more kind of 80-20 or Um, 80-10-10. And we can talk about kind of what were those shifts and in in the early days at IDEO, what we invested in that I would class as brand. Where we are at Paddle, I think about a few things. Let's talk about the justification as well as some of those actual Mm. tactics. Let's just go back to what we're trying to do as marketers. We've identified a target market now we want that target market to go through whatever funnel or waterfall or cycle you've defined <laughs> in your business, you know, whether it's complete BS or not, there's some yeah. process we're trying to walk people through and measure yeah. them against, right? yeah. So whether you're saying it's interest and then you know awareness, then interest, then there's some decision and some action, whether it's top of funnel, middle of funnel, bottom of funnel. You're trying to move people from not knowing anything about your business to knowing you to being somewhat positive towards you and understanding your proposition to actually being actively engaged in some kind of buying cycle to then purchasing you and then hopefully referring you and and actually buying more of your product over time. If we think about that marketing process, we understand there's a target market. We've got to define a message that matters. And then we've got to use a range of tactics and channels to reach that target market with that message and then have Mm -hmm. some measurement framework for how we're moving them towards that commercial end goal. In that framework, I think brand's got a lot to play here. It's, and, th- and there's kind of a couple of things that I think are really important. The first one is that a lot of that top of funnel, you know, the, the activity that isn't related to your brand, it, your product, yeah. isn't related to kind of features and functions. Yeah. That often starts with awareness, awareness that this brand exists. Awareness that this brand exists. How are we being helpful? How are we solving the problems of that end user before they ever see who we are and, and, and what we do as a company? Yeah. And so I think yeah, that, that's one way to think about it. And then secondly, It's making sure that every experience is a quality experience, because if it is, then that's how you build trust. That's how you build reputation. And those conversion rates through that funnel start to increase. And Mm. so I I think about brand really is the same way as I think about trust. It's having a positive experience consistently. And if you consistently have a positive experience with Paddle, then you are much more likely to firstly get into the consideration phase with with Paddle. And also you're likely to move faster through those steps. And so I think there's, there, those are the two main justifications are how can we increase the pool of our target accounts that are engaging with us as a business, not our product proposition, not our pricing page, but they're no, engaging no. with our podcast. They're listening to this LinkedIn Live with, with yourself mm. from Dream Data. And then how is that kind of the quality of that brand experience, the way we are being helpful and therefore demanding reciprocation over time in that new, yeah. m- normal human exchange? Um, how yeah. are we increasing those conversion rates through the
0: funnel? That's some really, really, really solid advice for maybe just running a business. I really think deeply about that nobody should have a bad interaction with us at any given point and we need to help anybody that we can help in, in any way because like any interaction is an opportunity to make a new friend. <laughs> like how do we get one more person to say something positive about us? Totally.
1: And Often, I think it's really important to not see brand as some faraway thing you can do once you've you know raised hundreds of millions of dollars or yeah, once you, you know to the IPO. <laughs> yeah, because actually, it is about just improving improving the quality of that experience. And so, yeah. I think about you know brand in the early days is often about thoughtfulness and insight that it is about budget. So with everything you're doing right now. Do you have some insight on why it matters to that target customer? And are you being thoughtful about how you're designing that experience? So, you know, you might have a swag budget and you're making t shirts. Great. Mm. So, are those t shirts just, you know, a boring white shirt with your logo on them? Or are they something that's a little bit more interesting that someone would actually want to wear, right? Super simple example. But, you know, it's something that adds a bit, you know, adds some thoughtfulness and some time, and then you can improve that experience. When we think about this from Paddle's perspective, that kind of 30% of the spend, mm. you know, some examples from this year would be, you know, when we acquired ProfitWell, we filmed a documentary. A yeah. minute <laughs> documentary behind the scenes, in the deal room, in the due diligence, with the lawyers, talking about price, talking about the negotiation, the human mm. story. Because our target customer is the CEO or executive of a software business that probably either have been through acquisition or want to go through acquisition. And so by revealing behind the scenes what's going on there, it's helpful, it's inspirational, it's useful. Does it Mm. tell them anything about Paddle? No, not at all. But it starts their journey with our business. And and it's being thoughtful. It didn't cost that much, but it's being thoughtful based on a fundamental insight. If If we go to maybe our event executions if you came to Saster or Sasto, yeah actually
0: i watched the premiere at, at Saster in, in, in barcelona i watched half of it at least and then uh, i think later the same day i was on a boat that the paddle had rented and had some beers <laughs> together with my yeah. colleague and you know yeah that these are kind of okay if they take me on a boat and they serve me a beer at least <laughs> I owe them like i like and a thumbs up here and there <laughs>
1: Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. So it's being a bit more thoughtful than just, you know, giving giving away coffee vouchers at the at the booth. And then, yeah. you know, what yeah. you'll have seen at those booths, what we're trying to do there when we show up to an event is not just have a booth and have a bunch of salespeople pitching, but we're mm. going to try and make it useful. And so, you know, um at, at Sastock over in Dublin, we did something that the ProfitWell team have been doing for a few years. We had a podcast booth, a stage. Mm at our booth. And so instead of us hard pitching a bunch of people, we had the top keynote speakers from the event come and sit down and have a one-to-one conversation with Patrick or Neil, our product manager or myself, about a topic that was interesting and gathered people who were wandering around looking for coffee to go and deep dive into a specific subject and ask questions. So again, adding a little bit more insight and a little bit more thoughtfulness and not yeah. really much more budget.
0: I think that's yeah, it's really, it's really inspirational Andrew, to, to hear this kind of like you actually care so much about every single execution of, of marketing activity. If we return yeah. to this kind of, you can, if there's any comments uh, to that, just go ahead first.
1: So I think as a business, there's a few things that we're trying to do. We have a yeah. few fundamental principles. As a product principle, we're trying to make software that just does things for you. Rather than help yeah. you do things better, we want to take away the load and do it for you. As a brand, yeah. we want to be the most helpful brand in SaaS. And when mm. we think about that, it's about making sure we are a source of inspiration education a source of you know measurement and data and benchmarking um there's lots of things we can do there but one of the things that you know certainly myself and patrick have talked about a bunch of times is that Hmm. we want to constantly be doing things that our market the reaction is kind of a wtf type of reaction it's how have they got the time And how have they got the thoughtfulness to go and do this for such a niche audience? So another silly example: I did a a webinar a while back with Adam Schoenfeld, who's a researcher, you know, three-time SaaS founder, researcher's PLG. Um, And so, in order to make that webinar a bit different and special, we custom created an audio intro like a rap about PLG. that so was funny, <laughs> it was a bit tongue-in-cheek, it was done by a, you know, yeah. a, a music producer I knew, and we played it before the, the, the webinar, didn't tell him about it, and played it before the webinar started, just as a way of livening up the audience, right? Again, yeah. didn't cost that, cost that much money, it just needed a bit of insight on what we were talking about, and a bit of creativity and thoughtfulness. But yeah. again, those little moments spark yeah. a bit of a WTF reaction, because there's very yeah. few BT marketers that have that kind of, Custom thought go into the experiences yeah. that being designed for them.
0: It's good lessons. If we go into the kind of diverses, then and you said like maybe your budget is going to be like sixty percent on uh, the demand side for, for next year. So what is the kind of count? If we've already talked a little bit about. It, but what is kind of the counter argument for us marketers having to do spend like sixty percent of the budget driving new demand for, for our sales teams?
1: So, sorry. What's the what's the argument for the sixty percent? Or, or yeah, I don't know.
0: I guess we have to sell something with with uh, with our the time and money we 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 spend as well.
1: Wholeheartedly, wholeheartedly, and I see the short term impact and the impact of that demand spend in terms of pipeline yeah. really being earning the right to do some of these other things. So you know, mm. in the early days, often you're you know adding time, as I said, and insight mm. and thoughtfulness into those experiences to try and punch yeah. harder. But you can't add much budget and you earn the right to add a bit of budget a few dollars to those exercises by yeah. hitting those short-term goals you know i don't think mm-hmm. there's a marketer on the planet who's going to be around for three or four quarters spending lots on brand if they're not hitting those next quarter targets and making sure the yeah. sales team are happy all
0: uh, right so yeah the thing that's really well put that yeah we can do the fun stuff if we hit our targets we cannot do the fun stuff. We don't hit our targets because then your budgets are going down because we need to save money as a company. It's just kind of the balance of how it is to like run a commercial uh, operation.
1: Yeah, totally. But let, let's, let's also reclassify or you know, redefine you know, that, that idea of fun because I think both elements can be fun. What I do mm. really believe is that you know, sometimes this is actually about boldness. It's about kind of overcoming the fear of what will happen if that fails. You know, think things like that documentary, things like that little custom, you know, audio rap, things like a podcast booth yeah. and event, things like putting a bit of extra time into a swag into swag design, all of those things can they take a bit of boldness because they c- could come across, you know, and not <laughs> work. They could fall on the flat on the face. And really, in both your demand team and in your brand team, you've got to be building this constant willingness to experiment. But often mm. in the brand yeah. side of things,
0: yeah. it, I it, saw it, a bad it, thing during I saw Patrick saying, churn on stage at, was it Sestog? You using yeah. that was the only word he used? Yeah. And I took that Twitter thread and shared to all my colleagues and my marketing friends and see, like look <laughs> at the the, the boldness of, of this guy.
1: Yeah, yeah. And you so know, one of the things that I go, uh,
0: yeah. WTF uh,
1: moment. <laughs> And, and if we, again, let's just stop and think about that. So he thought really carefully about whether to do that or not, because that could have mm. fallen flat on its face, right? And yeah. there were some people who walked out in the first few minutes of that talk. Mm. But what's really interesting is it was the most talked about you know, session, and it mm. really delivered value, because there was a huge amount of benchmarking data on those slides. And what yeah. was really interesting is because often if we're in a keynote, you know, we're sitting there probably doing email or Slack and listening to a little bit what's coming in our ears from the keynote yeah, speaker, yeah. When the person on stage is not giving any value at all from their mouth suddenly yeah. everybody in the entire room has to be looking <laughs> at the slides and there's a yeah. single track of of you know devoted uh, attention to what's coming up super on every single slide and we saw yeah. that
0: through the entire session that's super interesting if we open kind of the uh, the demand bucket at at paddle for uh, kind of the next year then kind of what are the kind of the the pillars there that is going to keep you your sales team uh, team busy
1: so within our within our demand function, um, we have the BDRs within our demand function. And then we have... Okay, they're, they're uh, in,
0: do they just like organizational? Do they report into you then uh, the BDRs? Ah, yep. interesting.
1: Okay. Yeah, absolutely. And so, you know, I think you know, there's lots of good reasons why they can report somewhere else or they can report okay. into marketing. I think a couple of things are really important for me in that decision. Number yeah. one, that their primary promotion path is into sales regardless. I've got fantastic BDRs who have ended up in field marketing or go-to-market strategy or other areas, but predominantly most of them are looking for an account exec role. And so Mm. it's making sure that they know that that's always the the, the obvious promotion path if they do well. The second thing is that I love having BDRs in marketing because it means that everybody in the whole marketing function understands that the output of their work in the quarter is producing a number of opportunities with a pipeline dollar value. And if that sits Mm. across sales, it's too easy for marketing to focus on much softer metrics. And so I really like having that revenue component within marketing. So yeah, we we think about demand in terms of our BDR team, and then our demand team, um, which is really um, running email and paid, so campaigns that are primarily distributed by those two channels, and then thirdly, our field marketing, so pop-up events, dinners, drinks, um, whether virtual or physical around the world. So those are really the three components of our demand team.
0: And then what does that summarize of the total demand or like the total opportunities that paddle need does that come from your unit then or is there like a separate i don't know sales unit or something like that that will create some of the the other opportunities absolutely
1: so our sales team are sourcing some of those opportunities
0: themselves
1: um and so they're doing their own prospecting they're, they're working hand in hand you know in a you know very normal fashion with their BDRs in pairs, um, but they're also sourcing their own opportunities. But yes, I, I want marketing really. That DG function is is taking the burden of opening up a bunch of opportunities yeah. for sales reps and with sales reps, um, and then is also running these kind of one to few or one to many events. So whether that's a physical yeah. event, a virtual event, using our newsletter, paid social, and search mm-hmm. uh, in order to get and you know people raising their hands to say they want to talk to a rep. Um, that's going to be the focus of that DG team.
0: Nice. And then, yeah, for you guys listening, like we've promised uh, Andrew he can go pick up his, his kids within, uh, within time scope. So like, if you do have questions for, for Andrew, now is the time to, to, to type them in. Um, we've got a question
1: here from S- Sander saying, would, would the brand impact on CAC be a leap of yeah. faith argument towards yeah. the C-suite?
0: Yeah. yeah so- would the brand impact on CAC be a leap of faith argument towards the C-suite, or could it be backed up by data? So
1: I think there's two bits of there's one bit of you know intuition and two bits of data I'd think about here. So yeah. the intuitive piece of this is you know is this going to Im- improve the experience either the number of experiences top of funnel or the experience that drives conversion. So that's an intuitive mm-hmm. piece. And then there's two bits of data you can actually measure there. Number one, it's benchmarking against other companies. What are other companies spending on these type of you know campaigns, programs, exercises? And yep. then secondly, it's, you know, do we think that that has some likelihood of actually improving any one of those conversion points by a certain number of percentage points? So mm. those would be the three things i think about. Like intuitively, is this the right thing to do because it's going to give a better experience? And then what do we estimate that ha- that experience means for our either top of funnel or conversion rates? And thirdly, benchmarking data that we can you know, measure against.
0: Cool. I so guess it's- it also comes down to... What is the history of this company? Do we believe in marketing? Uh, does the CEO, CFO believe in these things working? I've definitely known some people in my network where I know they are great marketers, but it just doesn't work out because they've been like, like historically, they've been sales driven. And then marketing is not like a driver of pipeline or revenue and of that sort. Yep. And,
1: you know, when we're thinking about that marketing and sales kind of partnership, it's also just really important to understand where your CEO sits on that partnership, too. Um, and, you know, many great product-focused CEOs really do have yep. a strong affinity for marketing because they can understand, particularly perhaps in a more product-led world, how interlinked quality marketing brand building is um, with yep. a successful product.
0: I consistently say that like the quickest way to improve the marketing ROI is to become best friends with the salespeople. But because the like at the end of the day, as you say, what we are to do is produce opportunities, and then it's the salespeople who gets the contract signed. So if they don't like the demand that you produce, then all the money you spend, if they don't pick up the phones, send emails, etc., are if not wasted, then at least not utilized to to what it uh, what it could be.
1: Yeah, completely. And if we think about where we sit in like the evolution of SaaS, there is you know, companies every day launching into every one of our spaces, right? Competition is increasing. Whether it is yeah. you know, AI or no code or any of the other kind of platforms, the shoulders of giants that people can build upon, yeah. launching a product is becoming easier and easier. And therefore, the pressure is on distribution. The pressure is on marketing. And so Mm -hmm. that's one way that I think we are starting to see a a shift towards a stronger brand muscle in many businesses, even earlier stage businesses, because they simply can't cut through by running the same outbound SDR cadence playbook alongside Mm -hmm. another 200 SDRs that are doing the same thing. And therefore, it needs that being helpful, producing a quality experience, providing insight for the customer, whatever you want to frame your brand experience as, it needs that at an earlier stage to even cut through and get that distribution.
0: I really agree. And also like the same with the ad platforms, the auctions keeps going up because more and more people are buying digital ads. So it gets more and more expensive to like kind of brute force your way through. Okay, two questions, Andrew. Let's run through them quickly. First one, how do you avoid that a strong brand limits demand growth? It comes a little bit counterintuitive uh, <laughs> that, yeah. that it would limit it, but I don't know how you uh, interpret it.
1: Yeah, so maybe Michael can can clarify in a follow-up comment. The, the one case I've seen where it can limit demand growth is yeah. where um, the brand is not focused on the target customer, where there is someone who is looking to do widespread PR and spending lots of budget on comms that are so universal that they're not actually serving that target market. And then there's a couple of things that happen your demand teams, your BDR teams, your sales mm-hmm. teams end up in constant disqualification mode because you're not actually attracting yeah. the right type of customer. Yeah. And that actually yeah. can limit demand because it means that they're spending time on the wrong type of customer. And secondly, it's about budget cannibalization. You know, you're spending yeah. budget on things that are serving a wider market, and therefore you can't spend the right money on the actual market you can serve.
0: Ah, super nicely spotted there. Okay, last one. Any thoughts on share of search being a leading indicator for share of market as brand mm-hmm. campaigns can impact this considerably?
1: Yeah, I think set share of search is a, is a great one to track. Um, you know, sometimes in the early days, it's just such low numbers, both in terms mm-hmm. of perhaps the terms you're tracking and also your share of them, that it can be really demoralizing or it just doesn't have the significance. But I do think it's something absolutely to track. Another thing that, you know, and we've talked a bit about this, Stefan, before we jumped on, jumped on, um, on this LinkedIn Live, yeah. is to think about self-reported attribution. So how yeah. can you allow your, your prospects to tell you where they heard about you? And that's yeah. something that we use regularly. We have a, a self-reported attribution field. How did you hear about Paddle? And oh, it'll yeah. often be, you know, actually another paddle t- seller told me about you, or I saw your checkout on XYZ product that I loved, or I listened to right. Patrick Campbell's podcast, or I saw you. Yeah, a, 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 a boat in
0: Barcelona. Yeah, <laughs> yeah
1: it's A boat in Barcelona, exactly. Yeah. Um, and so that's a really good way of measuring some of those brand investments as well.
0: Yeah, that, that's very reasonable. Okay, uh, Andrew, where do we end up in this uh, brand versus uh, demand discussion then? Well, I mean, for me,
1: I think it, it's absolutely vital that you know we see these as two sides of the same coin, um, yeah. and we see you know we see brand as something that you can invest in super early stage, as long as you're thinking about it from a how do I build insights and how am I being thoughtful about those experiences. So, any yeah. early stage marketers focus your time and energy on brand, on making sure those. Outbound SDR experiences, the first salesperson experience, the ads you're running, the events yeah. you're going to—all of those things have a quality experience. And you know, if I go back to the early days at IDEO, brand for us was you know steak dinners in New York with our top prospects, and then walking <laughs> away from that and genuinely loving it, and emailing us to say, "Next time you're in town, make sure I'm at that table with you. I loved yeah. the conversation." Um, mm. Or it was early work with Forrester Research. Yeah. Doing webinars with, a, with an analyst where we were putting money into something that was serving a wider market, not just our target yeah. accounts, but significantly increasing our reputation. Or yeah. it was very creative swag that we were sending as direct mail to certain people. We had a content personalization proposition. And so yeah. we would talk about being the Netflix of financial services content or enterprise tech content, and send people popcorn and Netflix vouchers. And that's a bit passe now, but five six years ago, it really <laughs> cut through, um, and it was memorable, and it was it had a it had a positive reaction. So I think in the early days, it's making sure you don't push demand off for something you can't afford or be in the future. And it's coming back to that first point, which is if you're not investing in brand from the beginning, then you're always going to be paying the price uh, in your customer acquisition costs and your conversion rates for the rest of your life.
0: I think that's a perfect summary, Andrew, that kind of it's it's not versus. We just need to have a plus there instead. So all demand activities are actually like contributing to that one more person giving you a like, thumbs up positive tone of voice when they speak about your brand at some point brilliant on to the kids andrew and thank you so much for for taking the time i uh, yeah it was super inspirational for for me and i i hope for for some of you guys who were were listening as well
1: really appreciate the time and love what you're doing at dream data
0: we hope you like listening to us subscribe to our podcast and the ones that we have been guests on. And if you have any feedback for us, uh, just do let us know. And should there be a guest that you think we should be talking to, then like pitch us. We're looking forward to seeing you.